0: Hello, and welcome to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. In week six of our Soul Care series, Pastor Kenny Keating takes us through Ephesians 5, verses 6 through 17, as he shows us why none of us naturally drift towards health. It requires an intentional game plan. Well, we're going to look at today, which if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I just have a question for us that kind of is relevant towards what Paul is saying, and it's this. Have, have you ever gotten out of shape? <laughs> like just got really unhealthy things, whatever. You're busy or anxious. You just got out of shape, and not only not, that's not the question. Have, it's, a, it's a fuller question. Have you ever gotten out of shape and then made a the decision to get back in shape? I do. As I get older, I feel like that's like a normal rhythm of my life now. But as if you do that, you might have a lot of different reasons for doing that. Some of them might be like performance based. You might say, you know what, I want to, I want to run a five k, or I want to run a marathon, or you might say I want to bench press, press three hundred pounds like I did in high school. And that's not just for the girls, right? And or you might have more of a, a of a like a, of an appearance type goal. I mean, let's not be overly spiritual, we've all, like, if we're going to get in shape, part of us is because, you know, we want to fit into that dress that we used to fit into, or you have, like, a goal where you want to lose a certain amount of inches or weight, or whatever it is, there's, like, appearance reasons you want to get in shape, or maybe there's a health reason. Maybe it's you just, you just got some bad news from the doctor and you need to get your cholesterol down, or, or you need to get your diabetes under control. But whatever the reason is, if you've been out of shape and you want to get in shape, we all know that there's, there's some things that we need to kind of, like, there's a process to that, right? There's a process. And it starts with setting the goal. Like, making a decision. Like, enough Cheetos, I'm going to start running, right? And I'm going to get in shape. You set a goal. I, wanna, I want I want to get in shape. And then you need to come up with an action plan, right? You need to have a strategy. You need to come up with some type of plan, and then the hardest part is you actually have to do it. You have to follow through with the plan that you make. And as we look at Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, um, we're going to see that Paul is is saying that. Like, if you have a goal, you need to to come up with a plan and you need to do. it. And so we're going to talk about that. But as we get into Ephesians chapter 5, the first thing I want to do, whenever you're studying the Bible, there's, a whole, there's an actual Bible study method. There's, like, there's a process of how to, how to interpret the Bible. And one of the things that's important to do is when you're reading a passage, like Ephesians chapter 5 obviously isn't the beginning of the book, right? That would be Ephesians chapter 1. So Ephesians chapter 5, you want to look at what came before it, and what came after it. And it would be like, if, you've ever, if, if, if someone walked into the room and you were in the middle of a conversation, and they walk in, and they listen to your conversation, and they hear what you're saying, but they don't know the context of what you're saying, and they totally take what you said out of context. You wouldn't want them to go around telling people like what you said when, when they sure. didn't understand the context. Of it. No, there was context to it. I really wasn't being a jerk, right? There was like a context to it, but you have to understand what came before... And what came after. And so, before Ephesians chapter 5, in the four chapters before that, here's three things that you need to know to understand this passage. The first thing is this, that Paul's been talking about this reality that our salvation is based on what Jesus did and not on what we did, or what we do. Our salvation is based on what Jesus did and not on what we do. And the Bible calls that grace. It's based on Great, so if, if Paul in chapter 5 says, I want you to concentrate and do these things, you can be sure that it's not in order to be saved that you do these things, but it's because you're saved, and he wants you to build on that and do these things. So our salvation is based on, 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 on what Jesus did, and then now that we're saved, our goal should be to become more mature. That like God said brings us to salvation, and then He wants us to grow. It's been said like this, like, God loves you just the way that you are, but He loves you so much that He's not going to let you stay that way. Right? He wants you to grow to maturity. And in the church, sometimes we get this wrong, we think the aim of Christianity, the highest level of Christianity, is authenticity. Like, I want to be an authentic Christian. And authentic means real, and that is important. It's important for us to be honest, and real, but here's the rub. If authentic for me is immature, if that's what's real, then that shouldn't be my ending point. That shouldn't be my goal, just to be real. My goal is, is to make the real me mature. Right? So the goal is maturity, he, he talks about. And then number three is this, that in order to do that, we're going to need to walk differently than we used to. We're going to need to change some things. If you keep doing... Things the same way you've always done, you'll get the same result, right? And so we're going to need to make some changes. And so when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 17, Paul says this. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness." For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there's a lot in there, right? You guys got that all... Dialed in, I think we need to continue, or do we need to unpack that a little bit? We need to unpack that a little bit, okay? So, so the first thing I want to just unpack for you is, is the uncomfortable elephant in the room for me when I read that, is we need to deal with God's wrath. It talks about God's wrath in here, very unpopular, right? And that, I would just tell you this, God's wrath has, has gotten a bad wrath. God's wrath is actually a beautiful expression of God's love. You guys believe that? God's wrath, let me, let me just kind of, I'm trying to unpack. God's wrath is his, his intense disapproval of evil and his intention to deal with it. Okay? So, you think about it like this. If you had a really good dad, a good dad, and, 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 and if that good dad had kids, and those kids had, were out in the world and they were getting bullied and bad things were happening to those kids, if that dad didn't care about that, would he be a good dad? No. A good dad is going to have an intense disapproval with anyone messing with his kids. Amen? He doesn't want anybody to mess with his kids. A good dad is going to step in there. He's going to protect you. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to deal with some things. A good dad is not going to be okay with things that harm his kids. Our good father is not okay with the things in this world that are a mess and that are broken, and that cause us pain. One day, do we not all want God to come back and make all things new? There will be no more tears, no more pain, no, none of that stuff, all of that would be behind us. It is God's wrath that will come and wipe all those things away. God's wrath is a beautiful thing. It means He does care, and He is going to deal with it. The real issue is, if, if a good father has wrath because his kids are getting bullied, you did not want to be on the wrong side of that wrath. Amen? Amen. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, I don't want you to be on the wrong side of this loving God's wrath, like these sons of disobedience. So God's wrath, I hope you see, is not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. And you just want to be on the right side of it. And so the first thing in our notes that I want to look at, we'll look at it in three parts, is this. Is that if you follow Jesus, Paul is saying... If you follow Jesus... Then follow Jesus. Right? Like if you say you follow Jesus... Then then follow Jesus. If you say you're going to get in shape... Then do the things that it requires for you to get in shape. Like don't just give word service... Like put it to action. If you follow Jesus... Then follow Jesus. And I want to go a little bit slower... And just read a few verses at a time... And then unpack those. So he says... Let no one deceive you... With empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And those who are on the right side of it say, hallelujah, come Lord Jesus, make all things new. Get rid of the evil in this world. Amen? Amen. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all, all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So the first thing in your notes is this, is if you, if you follow Jesus, then follow Jesus. And the first letter in your notes, and letter A, is this. He tells you, be careful what you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. The world is filled with worldly advice. You guys agree with that? With worldly philosophies, would you guys agree with that? With worldly oh, uh, 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 values, right? The world has has advice for you. A lot of times, it's real bad. I learned this as, as a fireman. I sit around the table with these other firemen, and I listen to the advice they give each other about about money, about marriage, about about all these things, right? About dating. It is the worst advice. In the world, These guys think just because they put together a full sentence, that they're intelligent. It's ridiculous, the things that get said all over the place. I, I look at Facebook, and I read some of the things my friends say, and I say, how is it that you're my friend? I still love you, but that is ridiculous, what you're saying right there, or the attitude that you have right there. And so we got to be careful about what we listen to. And Paul is very poignant. He says, what I want you guys to listen to is things that are good. Things that are right. Things that are true. It's important that we're listening to those things. Not that we don't surround ourselves and have Facebook friends that don't agree with us. Or friends that don't agree with us. But that we don't listen to them in the point that we don't absorb what they're taking as true and right. And good. So we better figure out what our source is of what's good and right and true. And Paul's saying, God is our source. So be careful what you listen to. And he says, you are light in the Lord. Did you guys capture that? I wouldn't think he would say that. Would, I wouldn't think he would say, you are light. I would think he would say, God is light and he shines upon you. So you're reflective you're 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 in the light. I would think you'd say something but it's, it literally says something about your identity. About who you are now. You are light. In other words, Jesus is actually in you if you if you are are, are a Christian. If you if Jesus has redeemed you, if he saved you, if he's justified you, if he's if he's removed your sin and given you his righteousness, then literally he's in you, and him in you makes you light. Because he's the light, and he's actually in you, to where you're not just a, like, like around the light, you're actually our light, is what Paul's saying. That's a big deal. And he goes like this, he goes, if you are light, then walk as children of the light. Or my translation is this, if you follow Jesus, then follow Jesus. And be careful what you listen to. Now, the second thing that he says in here, as far as what this looks like, is in letter B, that we need to choose our partners wisely. Choose your partners wisely. Now this isn't just talking about marriage, this is just talking about something bigger. Choose your partners wisely. It's very clear, if you look at the whole context of what Paul is saying in this whole book of Ephesians, Paul is not saying, he's not advocating that we segregate ourselves from people who don't agree with us about who Jesus is. Paul's not saying that you can't have friends that aren't Christians. He's not He's not advocating that we become this religious holy huddle here, where it's us versus them, and we just hang out with us. He's not saying that at all. Matter of fact, you need to be out in the world. You need to go to work. You need to go to soccer games. You need to go to all the places... That you go to school and all the places you go, and you need to be taking your light—the light that you are—you're going to take those to those places. And that means you need to engage people with friendship and service and the gospel. We need to be friends with people who don't believe. It's not saying segregated. Matter of fact, Jesus was friends with sinners. That was one of the things the Pharisees—they thought they were dissing him. You ever like try to diss someone and you're really like giving them a compliment? Like you're friends with sinners. Thank you. Right? That's not what they meant. So Jesus was friends with sinners, but here's the big difference, and here's the point that Paul is making. Jesus was friends with sinners. Jesus did not sin with sinners. He didn't partner with them in that way. That's what Paul's saying. When he says, "Don't partner with them. Don't 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 get caught up in what they're doing." I would say that for us, if we're going to be wise. And we're going we're gonna to walk towards maturity. We need to be careful what we're listening to. Where we, where we, where we decide is the, the, the authority of what's true and good and right. And we need to be careful who we partner with. And for some of us, that might mean that we need, to, we need to just be wise about some of the relationships we have. We might need to cut some things out. We might need to set some boundaries. When I was a brand new Christian, it's been 20 years more, more than 20 years now. But when I was, I was, I was a, a late teenager, and I had been out partying with all my friends, it was kind of my lifestyle, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I was no longer wanting to do that, but I still had friends, and my friends hadn't changed, and I had. How dare them. <laughs> and so they would call me every night. I would have different friends calling me, just like they had always done, inviting me to go out places with them. And on, a, on a, several occasions, I, I, I justified it. I said, well, I don't want to lose my friends, and I want... Jesus, Jesus was friends with sinners, and I want to, like, I'll go out, and I just won't do the stuff I was doing. But here's what I found. Every time I would go out with them to these places that I used to go out with, I would fall into the same old things that I used to fall into. I just realized I'm weak. And so I, had, I needed to create some boundaries... And it wasn't that I said, I'm not going to be friends with you anymore. I just had to be wise. I said, I'm not going to go to those same places with you. I I love you. I want to hang out with you. Let's get breakfast. Right? Let's let's, let's go get coffee. Let's go for a walk on the beach. I lost a lot of friends. Because our whole world was just around those things. There was no substance left. And I also kept some. And I made some new friends. But my goal was to be mature, and I had to be wise, and I had to set some boundaries. So Paul says, choose your partners wisely. That's important. And then he says, in letter C, he says, and make pleasing God your aim. Make pleasing God your aim. And this circles back to what he says, be careful who you listen to. Right? Make pleasing God your aim. The world is filled with values and advice. right? We already said that. Well, here's, here's some of the advice of the world. I'll give you three things, and you decide which one you think is the best option. Should we approach life like this? Just follow your heart. Follow your heart. I hear that all the time. Just follow your heart. And it, usually it's, it's well-meaning, right? Someone goes, like, I got these, these two, like, I don't know who to date, right? I got these two girls, and I like them both, and here's, like, like checks, and, like, here's the, the, the pluses and the negatives, or all those things. You know what you should do? You just follow your heart. Right? Or, or then people will say, No, just do what makes you happy. Like, if it makes... Do, do what makes you happy. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to all the haters. Do what makes you happy. Right? Or, you could say it like this. Do what's pleasing to the Lord. Now, to different people, all of those sound like good advice, and they sound positive. Follow your heart. Oh, that's a terrible one. Right? No. Just do what makes you happy. Right? It sounds like I love you. I want you to be happy, right? I do. I want you to follow your heart, but 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 pleasing the Lord. Here's what i found. Maybe you found this to be true. If following your heart is so is such good advice, how come most of the time when I follow my heart, I get lost? I realize my heart doesn't know where it's going. My heart oftentimes is hard and broken and hurting. Following your heart is terrible advice because your heart is unreliable. When you want to go to the Stable Center, use ways. Don't follow your heart. I just feel like getting off the freeway here. It looks hot. No, you're going to end up on a bad street, in a bad situation. Don't follow your heart. And if you're going trying to get to the Stable Center, then follow ways. If you're trying to get to heaven, then follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart. Just say, don't follow your heart, son. How come most of the time when I try... To do what makes me happy, I don't end up happy. I just... I'm the problem. I don't know what I want. I don't know what makes me happy. It is way more solid and reliable to say that God, who created all things, knows the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story, the author and perfecter of faith. He probably has a better idea of of where my heart should go and what will make me happy. I'm going to follow him. So that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, make your aim to please God. That will give you the best results. You agree? And that will produce ultimately the best reward. It's because Paul loves you that he tells you this thing, not because he doesn't want you to be happy, but because he wants you to be filled with joy, which is deeper than happiness. And that's found in following the Lord. So, so if you want to follow Jesus, then follow Jesus. And here's some practical things. Be careful what you listen to. Be wise about who you partner with. Don't, 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 don't remove yourself from the world. Just be wise about what's influencing you. Be honest with yourself. Be authentic in that. You want to be authentic so that you can grow to maturity. You don't want to be authentic as, a, as an end. It's a means to an end. And if you want to do that, make pleasing God your aim. And then, thankfully, Paul reminds us that this is a process. You none of you guys came here, myself, you guys, none of us came here imperfect and are going to leave perfect. None of you guys came here immature and you're going to leave today mature, right? It isn't an instantaneous thing, it is a lifelong process. That's why Paul continuously in this letter uses the, the, the idea of walking. Your, 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 your journey with Jesus, he says it's a walk, right? How do you walk? Hopefully one step at a time. Otherwise it looks real awkward. Right? Just one step at a time. Right foot, left foot. So wisdom in walking is one step at a time. And this is a process. We walk one step at a time. More and more mature as we go. As we make the right steps. Don't take the wrong path. Take the right path. That's what leads to maturity. But it's a process. It's one step at a time. So in Ephesians 5.11-14 it goes like this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anyone is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now this is a lot unpacked here, and I just want to help you guys see how beautiful this is. What Paul is saying. But he says it like this, he goes, expose the unfruitful works of darkness. How many of you guys like to be exposed? I do not like to be exposed. I spend a lot of time trying to not be exposed. This is basically how I go about being a pastor. I I just, I just fake it until I make it. I do not know what I'm doing most of the time. i am just be honest with you. I do not know what I'm doing. And I, my biggest fear is that you would know that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> right? I do not like to get exposed. Um, my wife, I care more about my wife's opinion than anyone. This is a little marriage advice. Um, we have a, sometimes I have the hardest time having conversations with my wife because I care about her opinions. So and when she asks me things, I get very defensive. What am I defending? I don't want to be exposed to her, I don't want her to see me as not good enough, because I love her so much, it's just like this messy, like, totally unhealthy thing in me, I don't like to be exposed, especially to the people I care about the most. What Paul is saying when he says, expose the works of darkness, let me just be clear, just like we were with, don't, don't... don't bail on all of your friends who aren't Christians and, and form a holy huddle. That's fully not the way Jesus lived, not the way he wants you to live. Also, don't go around exposing everyone else's stuff, right? The, the goal is not like, he's not saying like, hey, your job now, since, since now, you, now you read Ephesians chapter 5, is to go around telling people how messy they are and pointing out all the stuff that they're doing wrong. That will help them, right? You're doing that wrong. You're doing that wrong, right? You're doing no. That's not what he's saying. The idea here of, of of the light exposing things is this: first, I let the Lord expose me. Say, God, look at me. Have all of me. I don't want to hide anything anymore because I need you to come and deal with it with me. I need you to change me from the inside out. So first, we need to be exposed. By God. We need to be exposed, let let God in and expose the things. We should be welcoming exposure. The very thing I'm most afraid of, I need to to give that to God and let Him, because I need Him to. And then as God is transforming us, people get exposed to how great God is. That's the idea. We don't go around telling people what they're doing wrong. We do go around saying, God, have your way with me, change me from the inside out, and may other people be exposed to how great you are through that process. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, expose these unfruitful works of darkness. And, and, and the way that he he kind of we, we can figure out how to do this is three practical things. The first one is this: make scripture your roadmap. Make scripture your roadmap. Making, if you're walking somewhere, like don't make ways your roadmap for maturity. That's your roadmap to the stable Center. But that's your roadmap to somewhere you've never been before, or, or, or that helps you figure out where the traffic is. Waze is a great app, but the scriptures are the best app for life. They're the best roadmap for life. And so this begins with a healthy and good and right and true view of scriptures. But Paul says, "What's good and right and and true are we? We need to have a good and a right and a true a a, a a view of the Bible. But here's four kind of just generalized views that people that I know not 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 just Christians but just in the world people, ways that people view the Bible. And I want you to figure out where are you at on this, honestly." Some people believe that the Bible is narrow-minded and harmful to society. There's literally, there's there's a growing number of people that believe, you know, the Bible, believing the Bible, following the Bible, is actually harmful to society. Then other people believe this, the Bible is an outdated book of fables. In other words, it's not harmful, but it's certainly not helpful. And then other people believe this, the Bible is a good reference for wisdom. That's probably what most people believe, who who have a good view of the Bible. They think, the the Bible is a good reference for wisdom. But here's the higher tier. The Bible is God's word. Authoritative word, and is useful for all things life and godliness. What's your view? Because depending on what your view is, if it's just just a book of fables, you're probably not going to give it much weight. Also... If it's just like a good reference with good wisdom, you're going to kind of look at it, and then you're going to go like, mm, I don't know if I want to, I'll, I'll, take, I'll, I'll pick and choose which parts I want. Or you might look at it as the authoritative scripture. At that point, you're allowing it to expose you, and anything that, where it rubs you wrong, anything where you don't, you don't agree with it, guess what? I'm wrong. It's never wrong. I'm wrong. And I use it as this thing that is, is exposing the wrongful thinking, the untrue things, the untrue patterns of my mind. All those things—it's exposing those things and transforming them. Tim Keller, he, he wrote this, and I, I don't know, it just convicted me. He says, "If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself." In other words, when you read the Bible, if If it never disagrees with you, then you're probably reading it wrong. You never read through the Bible and go like, that bugs me. Anyone else? Are you guys like too holy? You're the part of the holy crowd. You don't read the Bible. You read through Ezekiel. And you're like, dude, this is like walking through Skid Row at the worst moment, right? And seeing bad stuff happen down there. That's just like seeing people suffer. Not everything's like the Psalms where it's like watching the sunset. There's some dark and gnarly things in the Bible. And there's some things that are going to expose in me. Things that are messy in me. And I hate being exposed. But me approaching the Bible saying, expose me and change me, God. I need it. I don't want to be right. I don't want to be right. You ever get in an argument and, and you're arguing with someone. All you're trying to do is win the argument. I don't want to win the argument anymore. I, I don't want to be right. I want to, I want to be right in his eyes. I don't want to be right in my own eyes. I don't want to prove that I was right all along. I want to admit I'm not right sometimes, and I want to let him transform me is what I'm saying. So it's a different approach when we, when we make the Bible our road map. And then, and then the next thing is even harder. He says, I would say, seek healthy accountability. If you want to be exposed and grow, you've got to seek healthy accountability. Now, here's another value that we need to not listen to that the world gives us. The world puts this as one of its highest values. Don't judge me. You ever, you're like, like, wait, is that wrong? How is that wrong? Don't judge. Didn't Jesus say don't judge? <clears throat> A healthy Christian doesn't walk around with that stigma. Don't judge me. No one judge me. Don't judge me. Right? A healthy Christian will welcome trustworthy people to expose some things in their life, to have a voice in their life. Sometimes, if no one's ever telling you that you're wrong, guess what? You don't have very good friends. (laughs) A healthy Christian is not going to say, don't judge me. A healthy Christian is going to say, Dale, judge me. I trust you. I know you love me. You have permission to judge me, my wife. You have permission to judge me. There's God. You have permission to judge me because I know you're going to do it in a loving way. You're going to, and, and we don't like the word judging. It's holding accountable, but it is the same thing. It's looking at being able to look at things in your life and say, "Look, you're off. I need to talk to you about this because it's not, you're, you're, what you're doing is not healthy for you, and I love you too much to let you keep doing it. Because that's what love does sometimes." If you don't have anybody in your life that is holding you accountable, you are already unhealthy. That's a fact. Myself included. This is not a strength for me. I hate being exposed. I fight to not be exposed. I think that's pretty normal. I I see a lot of heads nodding. We don't want to be exposed. We need to be exposed. There's a greater reward. And part of that is when we're exposed and being transformed, that's how the world. We don't go around, we don't go around passionately pointing out other people's messes. What do we do? Our new things. Right? We passionately point people to Jesus. We don't passionately point out their their errors. But we passionately let Jesus point out the things that he needs to point out. And we allow other people to get into our lives on the inside and judge us. The word, just so you know, in the Bible, the Greek word translated, don't judge me, is "kreno," And it has, in the Bible, there are positive sides of "kreno" and there are negative sides of "kreno." There are times in the Bible where it says, you need to judge each other. And there's times in the Bible where it says, don't go out and judge the purple. It's not your job. You need to let people into "kreno" us in a loving way. And we need to preno people in a loving way. We don't go out and crino in a self-righteous, negative way. Does that make sense? So we need to seek healthy accountability. And then letter C is this. We need to get gospel woke. That's a vogue term in today's society. Get woke. Slang for becoming aware of something that you didn't see before. Or seeing things more clearly than you used to, right? Listen, today, if you're here and you just recognize, my life has been going the wrong direction. You've drifted off course. If you're realizing, I've really never even made a goal of my life to follow this Jesus. I've never become light. I've never recognized Him as Lord and Savior. Here's Paul's words. He says, Awake, O oh sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In other words, he says, Wake up, get woke, get gospel woke. There's a better way of seeing things. There's a better way of living. Get gospel woke and stay gospel woke, is what he's saying. And he's using, not an Old Testament reference, he's literally quoting one of their old baptismal hymns. When, he's, when he quotes this, it would be like, if we 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 use this. How many of you guys have heard this? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back to Him. One of the things that they used to sing was "Awake, O oh sleeper," because they knew in society <clears throat> we drift, we, we, we get we get lulled to sleep. We get off course very easily. We need the Bible to keep us on course, and we need each other to keep us on course. We are not supposed to do that. You're not. There's nowhere in the Bible that says. Be strong and do it yourself. Don't bother anybody. It never says that. It says, look, remit your weak, and surround yourself with people, because you're going to need them. So we're in this process. One we'll of the worship team come back up. And then Paul kind of concludes here, and he says, look, if you live for God, then listen and obey. So if you're going to follow Jesus, then follow Jesus. If you're going to be in process, then be in process. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. And if you live for God, then listen and obey. He says Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. Look carefully then how you walk the process. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So if we're going to walk, one of the things that we can do today, if you're just like, what's the what's the application? Figure out what your next best step will be. What's the next healthy step for you? Don't try to fix yourself. You'll fail at that. That's the world's wisdom, right? Don't go buy a magazine that tells you seven ways to fix yourself. No, just what's the next thing that you feel like God is kind of stirring up in you and exposing in you? What's the next healthy step for you? And then let her be in there, what he says is this. He says, "This is our time. This is our time." Now, if you're a millennial, if you're a millennial, there's a book I want you to read. Guess what the book's title is? The book's title is "This Is Our Time," right? By Trevin Wax. Trevin Wax. In this book, "This Is Our Time," he speaks to millennials and he talks about the cultural voices, all the things that the culture is saying that we shouldn't be listening to, and he and he points you to the scriptures. And points you to a better way of approaching these things. Trevin Wax, this is our time. He's basically saying what Paul said. He's saying, this is your time. In Acts, it says that God created us in this place and the time that He did so that we would seek Him, though He's not far from us. What Trevin Wax is saying is this You were born a millennial, and this is the time that God's given you. And Paul says, so make the most of it. Don't waste your time. Now, if you're a Gen Xer, like I am, then when you hear, this is our time, hopefully, if you're a good Gen Xer, you think of the movie Goonies. (laughs) (laughs) Movie Goonies is great. It's these guys, this group of guys, the Goonies, right? They're they're, 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 they're like young teenagers, and and they don't fit in in society, and so they kind of form together based on the the fact that the thing that they all have in common is that they, they don't fit in. They're Goonies, and they, get to, they find this treasure map, and they end up going underground trying to search out this treasure, right, that this pirate had made, and this treasure map has all these pitfalls, and they're going together, and their older brother, one of their older brothers, and his girlfriend's along, right? Never bring her. I'm not saying girls aren't good for this, but this particular one, not fit for this. So she's under the ground, and they're under the ground, and 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 a lot of complaining, and things aren't going their way, and they get to this point about halfway where they find a wishing well. You guys remember that? Yes. At the wishing well, this girl hears somebody that she knows, and he basically offers her. He sends this rope down. He says, "I'll pull you out of there." And you could go back to your old way of living. Oh, you could go back to your old way of living right now. And one of the younger Goonies gets like a Braveheart moment, and he goes like this: He goes up there, we're Goonies. And then he looks at her and goes, "Well, not you, but you know what I mean." <laughs> up there, we're Goonies. It means nothing. Do you really want to go back to that? But down here, we have a chance to go after real treasure. He says, up there, it's their time. But down here, together, this is our time. What is he calling them to? Let's make the most of our time. God has given you so much. God has given us so much. And we have opportunity every day. And as a church... We have opportunity to do something for God, to make a difference. This is our time. 500 years ago was the Reformation. I have a lot of respect for the Reformation. We were not born 500 years ago. Let it go! This is our time. We can learn from them. That's not a roadmap. That's a treasure chest to learn for our roadmap. map. This is our time. And Paul's saying, this is our time. Make the most Of it, be wise. And lastly, hunger to listen and humility to obey. This requires that we, just like we started our time, where we just slow ourselves down and we say, God, I need you. God, I'm hungry to hear your voice. You know what we need? We need two things. We need wisdom to know what to do, and we need courage to do it all we need. We need wisdom to know what pleases God, to know what God's will is. He says, "Do seek to do God's will in the passage. We need wisdom to know what God's will is. And we need courage to do it. And we're not alone. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.